0: Hello and welcome to the Two View Movie Rewind podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi everyone. This week we are covering the, well, late 80s, early 90s uh, horror film Warlock, starring Julian Sands and Richard E. Grant. Now, this movie has been on our lists almost since the beginning of the podcast. and
1: Oh yeah, I think it's... Gotta be one of the might be one of the first 10 movies we discussed,
0: yeah. Like it was early on, it for many reasons, we just got you know pushed aside, or we, we didn't consider it. In fact, it took us a while before we could find, find the movie, find a copy on, on physical media so we could uh rewatch it, yeah. But then, unfortunately, you know, star Julian Sands was well, first he was missing, but then later he was. unfortunately discovered, um, deceased. And so we put it off again because, you know, it felt a little ghoulish to, to, you know, be doing the episode at at that time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a few weeks. So we figured, you know, just not only in honor of the movie, but in honor of Julian Sands, who is, you know, along with Richard E. Grant, they both, Oh, they're amazing. Perform (laughs) amazingly in this movie. Um, Julian Sands returns for a sort of sequel, and he is. But he, I mean, he's just one of the main reasons to watch this movie. I mean, it's a good movie; it's it's a solid movie. Everybody does an amazing job, including director Steve Miner, yeah. who is no stranger to horror, having directed Friday the Thirteenth Part Two and Part Three. He's also directed a Halloween movie in Halloween H Two O, and um, he he just really solid horror
1: movie director
0: and horror comedy director. Cause there's some humor in this movie and there's plenty of humor to be seen in one of his movies house.
1: Yes. House. And also uh, like Placid. Yes. Um, yes. So. And Friday of the 13th part two and, and three are like two of my favorite sequels of that franchise, especially part two.
0: Well, I mean, he laid the foundation of Jason as the killer. Yeah you know, directing the first one as Jason being the killer and the first one where he wears the hockey mask. So, right, you know, you can say he point. really helped shape Jason.
1: Good point. Although I always thought Baghead Jason uh, from part two was creepier.
0: A lot of people feel that way. Although I, I, I got to say, I prefer Hockey Mask Jason.
1: Oh, Hockey hockey mask uh, Jason is classic. I have no, I don't really have any problem with it. I just, I always thought the bag was creepier.
0: So this movie has a lot of, you know, parallels to the Terminator, where, you you know, the Terminator has a villain going through time to what is the movie's present day Los Angeles to complete a task and being chased by a hero from the same time period to prevent him from doing such. Whereas Terminator is, of course, killer robot from the future. Warlock is evil warlock from the past, specifically uh, 1691 uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And he's so, you know, the movie picks up in in the uh, colonial times around the time. Well, you know, I really should have researched better. But, you know, around the times of the, the, the Salem witch trials and all the, you know, the witch hysteria. And Julian Sands plays the warlock, a, you know, for real in the movie which with, with you know, supernatural powers and abilities. and But he's been captured by our hero, played by Richard Grant. And he's basically, they're, they're ready to execute him.
1: Yeah, I just realized I don't think he's ever given a name. I mean, there's a couple of sequels and I don't think he's ever had a name. He's just the warlock right yeah so he
0: casts a spell to escape you know his captivity and as he's casting the spell witch hunter uh red fern like we said played by richard uh, grant runs into the cell to stop him but he still manages to cast his bell and both he and and Redfern are taking on a journey through time somehow they're separated i don't think it's ever really made clear but julian sands ends up in late 80s los angeles and uh, we should point out like this movie was filmed and ready to go in 1989 but it got shelled because of financial troubles the uh production studio was having and then was, instead of having the wide release it was planned to have, it was shelved and had a limited release in 91, and then went to video, which I really think spoiled this movie's bigger chances. I Absolutely. I think it could have been a, a much bigger hit than it was.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't have taken the world by storm, but I think it would have done well enough at the box office. I'd like to, I mean, I'd have to, guess, double check what was out there at the time, but... Um... This, like, I don't remember seeing anything quite like this. Uh, and I remember, you know, this is what this would have been like the early 90s, right? So I remember thinking, like, you know, okay, direct to video, like, how good could this possibly be before I watched it? Yeah, like, there was, I was somewhat hesitant. I figured it would be dumb. I figured it would be, you know, terrible
0: and you know i don't think either one of us were familiar with julian sands at the time
1: not at all no
0: so you know it wasn't like we were like oh it's got julian sands in it it was just something that was it popped up on hbo and like oh
1: let's check this out it, it was a it was a cool idea like you know when you read the back of the box uh, you know vhs i guess at the time and it's like okay this is a really cool idea but there's no way they're pulling this off like it's going to look terrible it's going to be terrible was basic because it's like you know it's direct to video if this was any good it would have been in the theater like it was just that simple yeah you know
0: well he seemingly ends up at the the warlock seemingly randomly ends up at the apartment of two roommates uh lori singer who will be our female protagonist and her roommate chaz
1: it's very convenient yeah they end up at the protagonist's uh house because yeah the movie it would have been you know much worse
0: and he just comes the,
1: in the middle of the night,
0: he comes crashing through the window and they, they both head out from their respective rooms like, and find this man lying in their living room floor amongst broken glass. And at first they're like, well, we should call the police, but the phone lines are down. And Chaz is obviously a very trusting individual because right. you find out, you know, she's like, you can't take in every a soft... stray. Yeah, And he's like, well, I took you in. So they, you know, when they can't contact the police, they figure, all right, must have been drunk and stumbled into the window.
1: Right. Because like he's also wearing um, like the garb, the except for the fact that he's barefoot, um, the, the garb, it's really it's some sort of robe. It's kind of hard to explain, but it looks like it's, you know, you, you could confuse it for some sort of martial arts thing. But more importantly, he's got these like thumb and toe locks where his uh, well, I mean, he's free now, but, um, you know, it's these little locks that would tie to your thumb and toes so they're extremely confused
0: yeah so they take him in and when he wakes up the next morning you know he seems you know quite charming yeah and they're like all right well i guess everything's fine you know maybe you should lay off the booze and she heads off to work and Chad starts making breakfast and um Chaz, we hardly knew ye because poor Chaz is.
1: Yeah, this guy's a back actor the, too. It's gruesome.
0: Yeah, uh, killed by the warlock, one to just take a ring from th- that Chaz happened to be wearing, and also it seems to have cast a spell. Yeah, you know it, it's 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 brutal. This movie, you know it. it <laughs> It's clear the warlock is a killer and you know an evil person but he
1: he doesn't play it off as chaotically evil he he right he, he gets you he he's it's 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 a predator kind of situation um like he's just we're a list of spell components to <laughs> like yes. that's all we are well it's almost like vampiric like we're just not food but we're just like we're material you know we're just material. That's it. You know, where it means to an end. So the
0: warlock is aware of where he's arrived. He, he, he sees the newspaper and he, he asks like, is it, and this movie really kind of glosses over the time travel in a way. It doesn't waste all right. the time with the, where am I? What are these strange things? You know, it touches upon them. There is the fish out of water for both our, our, you know, villain and, hero who have come through time but it doesn't waste time with like I'm so confused by what's going on here it's like they right they there's
1: travel. no montage of like dodging traffic and, and stuff like that yeah which could they, have been they, fun but you know
0: <laughs> they're both aware that they've time travel and you know they've kind of accepted it right so the warlock goes off to what he believes is you know he finds a, a, a magic shop or, um, that's not quite the word. Um, no, yeah, like a spiritual shop, shop. Like yes. yeah. And a woman played by Mary Waranoff, um, you know, everybody knows her from Night of the Comet sure. and Eating Raoul, and, and tons of cult movies. She is a well, she claims to be a seer, and he wants her to summon basically the devil for him. He calls he, he refers to him as um, Zamil. Zamil or Zamail. And, you know, at first she tries to put on the act, but then she is actually possessed by the devil. And it's a really have...
1: good effect. Ooh.
0: Yeah. So he has this conversation with the devil where the devil is like, I brought you to this place for a reason. I want you to find the missing pages of the Graham Grimoire so that you can learn the true name of God, say his name backwards and undo creation. And Steve's, of course, is like, yeah, all right, I can do that. Yeah, exactly. I'm good.
1: But what's in it for me?
0: (laughs) What's in it for me? It's like, well, service isn't service to Satan enough. No, maybe for like those other little peons. Right. For me, what's in it for me? Yeah. Like, all right, I'll make you my son and heir apparent. And it's like, all right, that works for me. And he finds out that some of the pages are in an antique altar that Chaz had in his apartment. Right. Which explains why he arrived at that specific location.
1: Right, because ultimately, like later, you realize that he fell like right in front of the desk.
0: Yes, so he goes back to the apartment and
1: retrieves the three pages.
0: Meanwhile, Laurie Singer's character, who works at a diner, has been, you know, contacted by the police because um, they found Chaz's dead body, and they start questioning her. And she realizes like, oh, these cops are obviously, you know, uh, Chaz uh, was gay and they obviously want to try to play it off as some sort of weird, you
1: know. Like he got into some, yeah. Yeah. Like what did he do to invite like such danger type of vibe? Yeah. So upset, she
0: goes back to the apartment to collect some things and, and get out of there because, well, it's a crime scene and there's, you know, blood all over the place. And that's where she well now Redfern has arrived it never the the movie doesn't explain where he's been right all we know is that he tracked the warlock to the apartment and he starts asking her like you know this guy did he come you know was he strange did he bleed anywhere you know you got to help me we got to find him we got to track him down of course she's like oh great now i got another stranger in my apartment and you know she goes well. He he bled over here, and he, they find some blood. And he starts putting together this witch compass, and there's a neat little you yeah. know.
1: It's so cute. I I, I, I do love that little line of dialogue. That little scene in the bathroom there.
0: Um, you know. Well, and that's the other interesting thing is when he asks like, "Where's your well?" And yeah. she's like, "My what? Your well? Where you draw water from?" She brings him to the sink. And he works the sink almost like it's it's got a lever or a faucet, but right. he's of course working it like it's a pump action, you know, a, a, a water pump, which he gets the water running and he mixes the blood and he has this witch compass that once he pours blood in into the needle will point in the direction of the warlock and help him track the warlock down. So. She's, you know, kind of placating him while she calls the police. The police arrive, and this is where you know Redfern's even like you know. At first, I thought it was in you know I knew I'd been taken somewhere else. I thought maybe the Carolinas, or are... now I realize I'm someplace completely distant, even more. He's arrested by the police, and as once again she tries to collect things and get out of there, the warlock returns. And cast a spell on her. And I guess one of the things, there was an interview on um, the Blu-ray with Julian Sands. And he talked about how he kind of had to improvise some of the spells. Because he couldn't, you know, it's kind of nonsense words. You know, almost like Shakespearean bubble bubble. Toil and trouble. So he would be informed as to, you know, he'd be given the dialogue he'd be informed as to what the spell was supposed to do so that he could kind of come up with his own way of saying it and getting
1: through oh neat all right and- so he came up with his own like uh little rhyme yes
0: i don't know how much of it was scripted and how much of it was his own that's cool but- It was somewhat ad-libbed, and he he discusses in the interview that one of the things he preferred about the sequel was all he had to do in that was when he found people, when he found people in this movie he had to recite the spell. Where he found people in the other movie he just had to say, give me the stone. (laughs) It's much easier. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can imagine.
0: So he takes the bracelet that Laurie Singer's character wears, and uses that to curse her that she is going to age 20 years every day. So when she wakes up, uh, you know, she's gone from 20 to being 40, and she realizes, okay, obviously that guy who was in my apartment before who I had arrested knows what's going on. I got to go bail him out and figure this all out. So she goes to the police, she bails out Redfern, and he explains to her, you know, what we know, but He goes, if we don't get that bracelet back, you are going to age 20 years every day until you, you know, died. So he convinced that's really how he convinces her to help him find the warlock in these modern times.
1: Right, because at first she tries to play it off as casual as possible that, well, I've aged 20 years or whatever. I'll just deal with it. (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 no. You didn't really listen. (laughs) no 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 yeah you you, it isn't age you
0: 20 years it is aging you right aging 20 years so and, and she's like well what can we do and he's like well if we can't get what what did he take from you she goes my bracelet if we get that back we can break the spell so therefore reluctantly she joins him in the quest, and. He's able to follow after by again using his compass.
1: Oh, the other, um, like when they decide to do the fish out of water stuff, it's really for pretty fun effect, like it's usually worth it. Like, the um, like when he finds the thing of Morton salt and he's freaking, you know, it was not really freaking out, but he's like stunned, (laughs) like, like you have all this. He
0: brings the little canister out and's like, I spotted this earlier, is this yours? All of it, and she's like, Yeah, he's like, Great, because.
1: Yeah, it's, you know.
0: The lore in this is great, too, because witches loathe salt. So right. he uses the salt to salt the whip he carries with him.
1: Sure. I mean, all sorts uh, of salty, salty witch-related things, I guess, because he's got like a whole, for him, it would probably be like, you know, months' supply of salt.
0: Yes. So they get in their car, she grabs her credit cards, and they grab the witch compass and start following behind the witch. Unfortunately, again, much like the Terminator who causes death and chaos ahead of him, they kind of show up at places just after he's done something terrible. Like there's a scene where um, he meets a a young kid and he's like, hey, you know, why aren't it Sunday? We can hear the singing coming from the church. How come you're not in church? It's like, oh, you know, my dad doesn't believe in all that stuff. I don't go to church and then you know sinister grin appears on the face of
1: julian sands it's still chilling to i mean he pulls it off so well it's still chilling 30 years later when he grabs the swing and just grins
0: red fern and Lori singer arrive in the town a short time later you know they're talking to the gas station attendant who's like they hear gunshots like oh yeah must there was must have been a coyote attacked a small kid chewed him up pretty bad it looked like all his flesh was gone which of course Redfern immediately knows like oh my god he you know the the fat of an unborn child will be, be an unbaptized a, a potion an unba- yeah. unbaptized child will be able to, he can use that to create a potion which will allow him to fly so you know we're not going to it's going to be even tougher for us to catch up with him we're going to have to move faster they continue on the quest and we meet a um, farm family. And the grandpa of the family is, I, I don't know if he's Amish, but it's, he's kind of... I think of, he says Mennonite. Does he say Mennonite? I
1: think he does, yeah.
0: You know, he obviously, you know, he's... the His son and daughter, I don't know whether they're quite practicing, but regardless... As he's going around the farm, he's like, gee, the, the cream is spoiled overnight. He goes to his son, you know, the cream spoiled. The son's like, it can't be. I only, you know, we, we brought it in fresh yesterday. And then he notices that the flame in the fireplace is burning blue and the horse is sweating. Well, he instantly knows what's going on. And he paints a uh, hexagram up on the barn. Pentagram. Is it a pentagram? Yeah. As Renfern and Lori Singer are driving by, he sees what the man has painted on the barn and insists that she pull over. We cut to And again, it's a great, a great little scene where the wife is bringing out bread from the oven. She's like, oh, the, the bread didn't rise. It browned, but it didn't rise. And in comes Renfern bursting
1: through the door. Tell me you're wolves. <laughs> red ferns great they use him so well (laughs) they really do everybody is so everybody is they're they're so made for these roles and um you were telling me i guess originally they wanted julian sands for the red fern role but he was more interested in playing the warlock
0: that's yeah from what i understand yeah when he got the script first um he read it and thought it was a good script. Although, when I guess Julian, according to Julian Sands, one of the things he was told was that Sean Connery was being offered the Red Fern role. Oh, wow. Which I guess he was, but I don't think Connery ever even considered doing it.
1: Sure, sure. We, we tried to get him on the podcast, but, you know, it just didn't yeah. work out.
0: So. Of course, the couple are like, who are you? What do you want? What's going on? And Redfern's trying to explain. And fortunately, the, the grandfather enters and he says, like, you know, the signs, it, you know, cream that spoils, flames that burn blue, a horse that sweats in the morning, bread doesn't wise. There's a witch. We're cursed with a witch. So now suddenly Redfern has an ally who knows exactly what's going on with him. And they start tracking the witch through. The, the farm after the, the grandfather tells his son to take his wife and the children and get clear while they deal with this. So we get a neat little confrontation between the lorry Singer, the grandfather, and um, Grant with the warlock as they try to corner him. Meanwhile, the warlock is also trying to find more pages of the book that are hidden somewhere in the farm he finds those they almost get the warlock chained back up but the warlock unfortunately is able to cast a spell on the grandfather making his eyes bleed it's like some sort of death curse that's killing him so Grant, Redfern stops fighting the warlock because he can't he doesn't want this guy to die he, does, he goes, if I can prevent another death by this warlock, I need to do that. So while he's dealing with the grandfather, Lori Singer goes chasing after the warlock to get the bracelet back. And this is where we find out that, you know, another neat little lore, again, I don't know if this is from actual lore or something invented by the, the screenwriters, but if she can find, he, the, the, the warlock is running around barefoot. If she can find a footprint, And drive a nail into the footprint. He gets the sensation of a nail being driven into his foot. So she gathers up some nails and she's chasing after. Meanwhile, she's aging. She's uh, over 60, you know, at this point. And she's finding the footprints, smacking the nails. in. you hear the warlock scream. And that's how she's, she's tracking after him. And the warlock pulls up this, he's hiding in a train car, and he pulls up this board, which he puts on his feet, which I guess will prevent the, the spell from working, because as she nails another nail into a footprint, she finds he's, he's, you know, not being hurt. But, you know, you can tell he's in, in somewhat agony. Well, sure enough, as she's tracking him, she finds where his head landed and made an imprint in a mound of dirt and when she slams a nail into that he screams it knocks him out cold and he falls halfway out the train door she goes running after him because she sees also sees he's holding the bracelet and the train unfortunately starts up and as she's hobbling after the train she's trying to get to the bracelet train's pulling away she reaches for the hand he's awake he grabs her there's a struggle the train pulls away. She falls down, but fortunately, she finds the bracelet, and the spell is broken, and she's cured. Which is surprising because this is only halfway through the movie, and you—I would have thought, you know, the first time I watched it, maybe she'd be cursed the entire time.
1: S- same here. Um, yeah, I did. I, 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 yeah, I, I thought she'd be cursed the entire time, or at least at the very end, like he'd throw another curse at her. Um, but what I also find interesting, especially being a horror movie, is she was able to pull that off because she was smart enough to keep the hammer with her. Yeah. So she was able to whack the bracelet out of her hand. <laughs> you know, she didn't put down the only weapon she had. She actually kept it with her and she got her bracelet back.
0: She makes her way back to the farm where Redfern has stabilized the grandfather and, you know has, you know, told him how he's going to be able to counteract the spell and saying that within a day or two, you'll be fine, which is another surprising part of this movie because I would have thought the grandfather was toast.
1: Well, yeah, because the movie, like, this is from, uh, I'm trying to remember when I had seen this, but this, I I know I hadn't seen any of the um, Night of the Living Dead or or any of those movies yet. I don't think I'd even seen, like, Evil Dead or anything like that yet. So this was probably the most, like, grotesque um, horror movie I had seen. Uh, you know at that age right like mostly it was you know i I had seen halloween before but halloween is barely bloody at all um this is this this goes out there so i I remember that being one of the things that stuck with me and and sort of makes this movie you know or made it at the time anyway difficult but in a fun way to watch you know like three hands or whatever it made it so unsettling but that's all gruesome effects exactly i i for one i think they still hold up so you know kudos to this movie but also like You know, having those effects in there and having them work pretty well and throwing all this lore at you, you know, allows them to do stuff like the whole, yeah, let's, you know, drive a nail and, you know, that'll be a thing where she's just literally driving nail into dirt. and He's acting like it hurts, but it works.
0: Yeah. So they find out that, you know, that now they know that he's trying to find the pages of the grimoire. Um, And there's a neat effect again when Redfern finds a page he kind of realizes what it is and he tears it in half and you see the page mend itself right in front of him. Right. Which includes him in like this, what he's hunting is, is the the grimoire. And they know that the grimoire was, as far as he last knew, was in a church in Boston. And so Laurie Singer makes a couple of calls and she finds that the church still stands and she comes up with a plan like, okay, Instead of chasing after him, let's get ahead of him. Let's we're going to get to Boston ahead of him. We'll find the last few pages of the book, and then he won't be able to complete his his task. And Renfer, you know, agrees to that until they get to an airport. And he realizes, wait, yeah. wait, wait. People go inside these things and fly around. She's like, yeah, trust me, it's ha- people do it all the time. His objection isn't even so much fear as that. A person who flies is a witch. Right. For him, it's more of a moral, religious, um, you know. and rel- we're meant
1: to fly. Yeah.
0: Right. To get on a plane than any actual fear of flying. Right. Um, again, we get a few, like, neat little fish out of water encounters as, you know, they try to get, he tries to get to the airport and.
1: The giant or, metal weather vane, like pointy weather vane and like knives, because he's a witch hunter, so he's like, you know, he's festooned yeah, with weapons. He's armed,
0: and she's like, All right, I'll we'll have to check these in my bag. And you know, there's you know, again, there's just great lines. I I, I feel like we ruin them if we try to sure to, to, to try to discuss them for people who haven't seen them. So they get on the plane and they get to Boston and you know, again, the cab driver, they're picked up by a cab driver who just kind of looks at him and is like, let me guess, L.A., right? Yeah. She's like, yeah, like, you know, they find their way to the church and they meet the the pastor at the church who tells, like, oh, yeah, you, you know, um at first he doesn't want anything. You know, come back in the morning. I'll, I'll just, you know, with you in the morning and when Redford says, we're here about the Grand Grimoire. The priest stops and lets them into the church to look at the records because he's saying, you know, there's other, you know, priests here who know the story. But, um, you know, obviously something's up.
1: Well, it's one of it's one of those things where, like, even if you don't believe it, it's pretty weird, especially as soon as you see Redford. And it's like he's asking about this book that, like, few people know exists, much less that you have it. So you're at right. least going to be interested enough to see you know like imagine imagine if like a later today you know Matt, someone shows up at your door dressing like Renfern, mentioning something that only really you could possibly know about like do you have you know issue number <laughs> of what you know like you're, you're you're compelled it's like, all right, this is obviously something weird going on here, but you have my interest I have to at least talk to you now. So they go through the church
0: records and they discover that, yes, the book was separated into three portions. One was put in an altar and they're like, all right, that was the, the altar in Chaz's apartment. Another was put into a, um, a painting and like, all right, that, it, you know, that must have been what we found in the farm in Colorado. And then the last were, you know, buried with a man and buried on holy ground. And so Renford's like, all right, so as long as the pages are still in this person's tomb, the warlock won't be able to get to it because the warlock can't go on to holy ground. So he and Laurie go to the graveyard to make sure that the tomb and the paper pages are still there. Because like, all right, if we're lucky, the tomb is untouched and, you know, we won't have to. She's like, we're not going to have to dig up a grave. Irie's like, no, if it's untouched, we won't have to do anything. You know, as long as it's still holy ground. So they head to the church, and as the pastor heads home, well, as the, when the pastor gets home, the warlock is unfortunately there waiting for him, and the warlock is able to get the pastor to give him the information that Redfern and Lori have. Redfern and Lori get to the cemetery. They find the the grave. But they also find out that there has been some sort of project going on that has repl- re- um,
1: relocated It's like relocated
0: half the cemetery, and half the cemetery is no longer on consecrated ground, which means the tomb with holding the papers is no longer on consecrated ground. So as they grab the pages and make their way back to the holy ground, they're confronted by the warlock, and we have our final battle, which ends spectacular. I mean, the final effects of the death of the warlock, yeah, are amazing. Yeah, and it is really gruesome, and it's all very satisfying. Yes, yeah, that's you know. The warlock, of course, you know, uses treachery and torture to try to get Renfern to do what he wants. And Renfern even challenges him, like, you know, toward like a for real fight. Like you want these right. pages. All right. You got to come and get them from me. But no magic. You got to come and get them from me. He take he throws down his whip. He throws down his knife. And he's like, this, this is what it's going to be. You know, you versus me, man versus man for these pages. And of course, you know, it always comes down to the warlock almost gets his way, he gets the pages, he finds out, you know, the real name of God, which surprisingly is Kyle. Yeah, yeah. And just before he's able, you know, of course, he's got to be that taunting, like, I know your name, I'm going to undo creation by saying your name back, which gives our heroes just enough time to defeat him. But this is an amazingly underrated movie. People who have seen this, you know, right. you see it, if you've you, seen it, you, you love, love it. it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it is so different from so much of what the horror was in the late eighties and early nineties. And it is done you know, again. Not only is Ju- are Julian Sands and Richard Grant fantastic in the, their roles, which alone just watching these two act. Oh yeah, makes the movie worth seeing. Everybody
1: worked on this film to really put together the effects are decent. Um, yeah, like, as far as whether or not they hold up, it's it's a little inconsistent and also somewhat subjective. Um, I was surprised at how well most of them did. Um, the, <laughs> at the end, I mean maybe the most egregious if I were to pick one is the um, the, the Boston skyline at the end. <laughs>
0: Well, they had to film the cemetery on a sound stage.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah, they did. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But you know, every they really, you know, you can tell they really worked hard to put together the Absolutely. best possible movie they could. And so much of this could have appeared silly, and I think that's where the humor helps the movie yes. cuz they poke little bits of fun at certain areas but it never feels out of place
1: for me like to me that the humor especially to 13 or 14 year old whatever whatever age i was me seeing this for the first time uh it's probably the humor that helped me that that helped me like this film because otherwise it's really dark <laughs> you know what i mean
0: well that's the thing is they don't take it so seriously that you can't take it seriously it, well and they don't or it... or
1: or like just like start to get depressed by it you know what i mean like there's a certain layer where like i don't know at least to me anyway like i i i was happy that they took you know between the severed eyes and the boiling of unbaptized by unbaptized children like the you know the, the laugh or two that you get um was was well worth it for me well, like it was and, welcome yeah. brother so welcome
0: all the chuckles are well-earned and yes. they don't feel out of place. Right. And the movie never falls
1: to They're slack never forced. Stick. No, they're never forced. They're, they're very like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: You know, this doesn't, you know, and again, I love Evil Dead Part 2, but this isn't Evil Dead Part 2. Actually, you know what? It is kind of...
1: It's not that far off.
0: Right in that, you know, not yeah. quite... It's in that it
1: wheelhouse. Is? Yeah, it's in that diagram. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, not quite what Army of Darkness and what Evil Dead would become. But, you know, about that Evil Dead too, right. um, type of, of, as well as some of the effects and gruesomeness. Yes. Oh, because yeah. while the, the most serious character in the movie is Red Fern, played by Grant. And come on, he's a witch hunter trying to save the world. Right. So that's pretty serious. And uh, yeah, Julian Sands is just so engaging. I mean, you you don't root for him, but
1: no, but you, you get why. Like it's he's he's again like vampiric again. He'd be a good which I, I believe he has played a vampire before. But it's it's a it's a almost Dracula kind of characterization where he's very seductive.
0: Well, speaking of Dracula, people might recognize Richard E. Grant. He played Doctor Seward in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, right. Um. But just this is this is, again, this is one of those movies where and Vestron, we should point we we, we got the Blu-ray yes. um, Vestron video has a collection because there's two semi sequels to this movie. They're all kind of really standalone movies. And Julian Sand does return for the second movie, Warlock Armageddon. But there's. You could really kind of watch these movies in any order. They 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 yeah. all stand pretty well on their own. And I was surprised. I have had avoided watching Warlock Armageddon for uh, decades because I didn't. Assu- I assumed it was going to be just a terrible. And it's nowhere near as good. But it is a fun, decent movie. It has its problems, but overall, again, Julian Sands is well worth watching in his return to a, the role of a warlock if not the warlock but
1: right uh... like you can come up with your own head cannon for that you know um the warlock too like i remember when i first saw it i didn't like it or at least that I, I mean it's been a while obviously but um i remember not liking it um and that more or less like soured my impression forever until you got the the um Uh, until you just got it on Blu-ray and we watched it again. And, you know, after that rewatch it, it's, I've come back around. It's a, it's a pretty fun movie.
0: Yeah. And I haven't watched the third one yet, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, the price of the settle is, just getting the first movie on blu-ray the price of the set alone was worth it because mm-hmm. it's also packed with features i was watching you know steve Miner does the commentary track oh, yeah. there's interviews with julian sands and and all sorts of stuff i highly recommend this vestron video uh warlock film set because i highly recommend
1: this movie yes yeah the, if you haven't seen it uh, definitely do if, and if it's been a long time you know try to seek it out and, and and watch it again and remember how awesome it is it's it, it's it's a unique movie man um uh it, it's it's there's a lot of like horror black comedy but i mean i, I don't know uh this one stands uh above for me um I, I i love this movie a great deal i'm glad to watch it again
0: and uh, yeah, i want to say it kind of it stays classy you know mm-hmm. um Julian Sands said that as he read the script, he never thought of it as a horror genre. He's like, yeah, I know it was a horror and all that. But he kind of even saw it as kind of Shakespearean.
1: Yes, I could see that.
0: Um, he, he talks in the interview about how when he was a kid, his mom took him to see Richard Third, and he fell in love with the movie and was so pleased that, you know, at one point in his career, he was able to play Richard the Third. Oh, that's neat. So he saw this character as a Shakespearean style character and you, you can tell he I agree. To the role.
1: I can, yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, I'm no Shakespeare expert, but I mean, I can see his point to the terms of like, especially at this time, right? I mean, if you were to think horror movie, you immediately think slasher. So, you know, you basically never get a line and often enough your face is just covered. So, you know, if you're not reading the script, I could totally understand uh, but then, as you read the script, and as he realizes he can put like his own, because this guy is almost like a a more evil version of Loki, as as much as he is a warlock, because he's because he he's enjoying what he's doing. It's a bit more than just like killing because he's com- compelled to it. Just he enjoys being a yes. warlock. He enjoys the torture. He the, the terror. He he's he's reveling in it. But he never comes off as like chaotically. He never comes off. He never comes Freddy off as. Yeah, I was just going to say exactly. Freddy Krueger. You know, he's right. not
0: like this cackling. Well, except towards like at the very end, he kind of does. But he's so. Like you said, almost a vampire. Right. You know, he's that, that, he's that, like an that,
1: unhinged
0: Dracula. <laughs> that very stand up. Um, less hinged, I guess. Yeah. You, you got to see Warlock. You got to see this movie. Um Ish. so I'm trying to think of like other movies to try to compare it to. I mean, in some ways it, it is comparable to some of the, the earlier Leprechaun movies. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, cause again, there's, there's, there's also that whole like kind of inventive kill,
1: right? Which
0: <laughs> I think really a good gets, example, yeah. they really kick into high gear. The inventive kills in the second movie. Um, but you know there is almost like you know kind of again with you know the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies where again Freddy would come up with these kind of you know careful what you wish for you know worst fear type of of kills as well. Uh, this I, I don't know I, I'll, I can repeat is like this is just a great movie. It's a great genre film. But I think it might even appear. It, it, other than some of the gruesomeness, I think it might appear to people who aren't necessarily into horror. Yeah, because
1: it's not a scary movie. They, they don't do jump scares. Oh, it's well, exactly. They don't do. I would argue it's a very scary movie. But you're yes, it's not like a it's not an in your face jump scare like tortury, super bloody, you know, kind of thing. Like it's not like a frenetic sort of thing. It's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Well, and there's also no real, um, there's no scary atmosphere. You know, no, it, it all takes, most of it
1: takes place in like broad day, flight, yeah. which is interesting.
0: Yeah. You know, it's again, like it's, that it's farm day
1: looks beautiful. Like, you know, normally you'd just be laying out in the field or whatever, but instead, like the fate of the world is happening, like a, a witch versus witch hunter battle. Like, like the Terminator
0: you know, it's scary in the concept of what's going on and it's brutal in the, um, you know, the, the conflict. Right. I, I, I really, I don't, I don't know what else to say, but you know, see Warlock buy the veteran Vestron video, you know, collection, because again, even if you never watched the other two movies, I bought it because I'm like, it's worth it. Like just, just to own the, uh, the first movie because like we, we, we couldn't find it. Yes.
1: Cause like the, the version you, and the version you have, which took us a while to find is I want to say a 2017 or 2016 or so release. So I don't know how many times you're going to have a chance to get the movie and watch it. Um, we, I,
0: I do want to wish, you know, Julian Sands rest in peace and, Absolutely. and you know, sympathies to his family you know, you don't expect that when, you know, a, a person you, you care about just says, you know, I'm going out for a hike. I'm going to walk in the mountains
1: like they've done. Yeah, I don't know, countless times because he was experienced at it. Like, that's what he did as much as acting, you know. He yeah. Was, yeah.
0: Yeah. He he will be missed. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get, you know, depressing or. What other movies do you... What else you got to say about Warlock?
1: Um, So to pick a Whit Bissell Award is tough because it's a pretty small cast. Um, With the exception of uh, uh, Julian Sands, uh, Richard Grant, and Laurie Singer, most folks have a very brief, brief part. Um, I'm going to pick um, uh, K.E. Cutter, uh, or Cooter, I'm not sure, K-U-T-E-R. He played the... um, the head priest, the proctor he's credited as at the beginning of the film um, who is condemning him to death. And I remember we were watching it and I'm seeing him I'm like, I recognize him, but I can't figure out why. It's the voice you
0: recognize. Yes. More than anything else. You definitely recognize the voice.
1: Um, he also plays Ambassador Indurin, who uh, from Last Starfighter. Um, who's a fun part and obviously a more obvious part um, and a a somewhat longer one um, who put who brings like the the sort of like dire um, he's the one that really helps to you know convey how dire the situation is Uh, so it gives me a chance to um, uh, point him out because I I can't remember who I probably picked Robert Preston I suppose Um, but uh, anyway uh, uh, Kay Cutter Cutter. Uh, do you have a whip pistol name?
0: Yes. Um, I'm giving it to Brandon Call, who played the little boy. Okay. Because, again, it's a very small shot, ch- but he's, you know, he makes it in the movie long enough that he's he's got some great dialogue with the uh, warlock. Yeah. Especially he, when he's showing the he, warlock how to play his little electronic football game.
1: He pl- He does play off like a very trusting sort of like – you know, just talking to, some, you know what I mean? Like he's got no sense of fear or any, anything. Um, well, again, no clue what's happening. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's such a chilling how, scene, man.
0: Because of how the warlock behaves, he didn't think yeah. there was anything to fear. It's
1: such a chilling scene. That is such a well done scene. That's an underrated scene in an underrated movie. But you know, a, a less, um, competent child actor could have spoiled the scene. Right. Exactly. Could
0: have made it into, into a scene where it's like, oh, come on, kill the little kid. You
1: know, right. <laughs> right.
0: No, you know, if anything, it, it feels even all the more tragic because of the way this kid portrays him in right. the
1: very limited screen time he has. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it, To me, it's maybe the most effective scene of the movie, um, given all things considered. It's so it's so it's so chilling, you know, and unassuming, like just out of context. You can tell just by the way Julian Sands is acting, which is on the one hand, incredibly charming. On the other hand, obviously sinister. <laughs> yes. It's so great. He's, he's, he's amazing in this.
0: All right. As far as recommendations go, um, it's it's kind of tough because there's. I mean, we we talked about how there were films like it, but you know, a lot of them are. Well, I, thought... you know, I, I would say like you know, obviously like the Evil Dead series. Yeah you know, has as much in the and again, it's the, the, there is the quest for the book. So, yeah, I would say the Evil Dead series, whether it's the movies or the uh, TV show, oh, or the video Dead. games. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series yes. has a lot of this kind of same stuff to it.
1: It has that same sort of like seriousness balanced with well-placed humor.
0: Yeah, so I would almost say, like, if you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series or the Evil Dead series, even more so than this is a movie you should be checking out.
1: Oh, I, I could have totally seen, like, Buffy teaming up with Renfield to take on the Warlock. That could totally have been an episode of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: Well, don't we find out that his name is Giles Renfield?
1: It's right, it is Giles, yeah.
0: So, a little bit of connection there.
1: Um what do you got oh for uh what are we doing the uh, Magnificent since 7 do you want well, that
0: well unless you got any recommendations
1: no i mean it, like you said i mean you know you could just broadly say oh you know pick a um a horror comedy and and, and go um you know i i am with you like to me it's it's i think the best example would be you know well to pick another sam Raimi film as well uh drag me to hell oh that's a good one yeah um So that's sort of like, uh, that, that sort of vibe, you know, if you're a fan of gremlins, you might be able to get in with Warlock. And, and as we said at the beginning, Steve Miner's house, Steve Miner's. Oh, house. Yeah. There you go. Uh, house is, uh, house is just, yeah, it's got that right kind of quirk to it or Lake Placid Steve Miner's Lake Placid. Yeah.
0: All right. Well then you said you had a magnificent seven degrees.
1: I do. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating somewhat here because this was um, researched, but it, it sort of happened because, uh, I, you know, the one I tried to do in my head wasn't as interesting as the one that I had led myself into. Um, so I decided to go with that. I'm going to go with the writer of the movie, uh, David Toohey, who um, wrote, uh, among other things, Critters uh, 2. He wrote The Fugitive. He wrote *Waterworld*, which is a movie I kind of liked. <laughs> um, uh, he wrote *The Arrival* with Charlie Sheen. I've never seen that movie. I really only know it as the movie I would see all the time at the at the uh, you know video store and like walk by. Like for whatever reason, my eyes were always drawn to that movie, but I never actually watched it. Um, he wrote and directed *A Perfect Getaway*, which I think is a really one of those uh, one of the better like you know couples on vacation led to disaster ones that's the timothy oliphant and mila jovovich and steve zahn one did you ever see that yeah um uh you remember below the uh submarine one oh yeah okay so he wrote and directed below and did you know zach galifianakis was in that I did not. I certainly don't remember him being in it. Right? I'm going to have to see that movie again. I really like that movie. We both did. I'm going to have to see that movie again because I realized he was in the cast list. Um, now, he wrote, he, he co wrote that with, um, oh, I forgot the fellow's name, but also he co wrote it with Darren Aronofsky, who did uh, The Wrestler with Marissa Tomei. Uh, who was in uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is a really fun movie. I think I picked up on like Netflix or something one day out of the blue. And I, I really liked that. That's a that's a, that's a fun um, sort of crime movie um, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, as well. Um, but he, uh, so Sidney Lumet directed that. He also wrote and directed Murder on the Orient Express, which stars among other people, Richard Widmark and Matt. <laughs> what was Richard Widmark in with uh, DeForest Kelly?
0: Well, a movie called Warlock.
1: That's right. Um, DeForest Kelly was also in Gunfight at the OK Corral, directed by
0: John Sturgis, who also directed The Magnificent Seven. There you go. All right. Mine's a little easier. Laurie Singer was, everybody knows, is from Footloose. Footloose, of course, stars Kevin Bacon, who is, you know, the star of the actual game we have modified to turn into the Magnificent Seven Degrees. That's right. But Kevin Bacon was in A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was in a bizarre Western called The Shooting with the late, great Warren Oates. Warren Oates was in the first Magnificent Seven sequel the Magnificent Seven Return, with Yule Brenner, who, of course, starred in the original Magnificent Seven.
1: Oh, right on. So, the shooting, what's bizarre about the Bizarre Western? <sighs> okay, so
0: Warren Oates is hired by a woman to track a killer across the desert. Okay. Jack Nicholson is the hired gun she is hired to kill the guy they're tracking, because the guy they're tracking killed her father.
1: So, wait, and... all right, wait roll that back again? So... Warren Oates and Jack Nicholson
0: are hired to track a guy across the desert by a woman who joins them because the guy they're tracking killed the woman's father.
1: Okay. All right. Got it.
0: There's a mystery as to the identity as this person they're tracking.
1: Okay. Does she know who it is or does she just like know what he looks like? She knows what he looks like. Okay, but does she know like Does she know anything more? Or well, I guess I guess that's the point of the movie, right? But does it seem like she knows more than she's telling? Is that the sort of situation? Oh,
0: there's this. It's clear throughout the movie. There's more going on than what we're experiencing. Got it. Okay. And then by the end of the movie, when you finally they catch up to the person, it's kind of a, huh? Oh, it's, really? It's it's kind of weird. Okay.
1: Like supernatural weird, or do you not want to give anything away?
0: metaphysical weird like oh. you know there's like this like the movie is an allegory
1: oh I got you. you
0: know like there's something else going on
1: almost like it's a twilight like a long twilight zone kind of
0: vibe. I would say even more like a David Lynch oh okay Although that does sound
1: like a bizarre western
0: well but for the most part the western it's all pretty straightforward it really isn't until like there's the mystery of like okay there's something deeper going on here Okay, and then, like I said, the reveal of them catching up with the killer is kind of like you're not quite sure what it's all supposed to mean. Got it. Almost like uh, High Plains Drifter. Okay. You know, at the end of High Plains Drifter, a lot of people are like, well, it's the ghost of the guy who was killed, or no, it was the brother of the guy. There wasn't anything metaphysical about it. Like, no, it was metaphysical. There, it was about karma. You know, it's up for debate. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So the last thing before we wrap it up is once again, I just got to, you know, Warlock could have easily been a movie that was a complete waste of time.
1: Oh, no, it should have been a forget. It, it should have been a forgotten thing that you pass by on Netflix. Yes. <laughs> you know, but it is a fantastic movie. You oh, to absolutely. Check out. Yeah.
0: So with that, we're going to wrap things up. I'm going to remind you, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter slash X, whichever you prefer to refer to it as at movie, Matt Joyce, all one word, M O V I E M A T T S I uh, R O I S. You can look us up on Facebook at the movie asylum of the weird, bad and wonderful. And as always, we thank you for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you everyone. Stay gold people.